For those of you who have been with us the last several weeks, we've been doing a study in the book of Joshua called Possessing the Promise. Possessing the Promise. Today we're talking about keeping the promise alive. I will warn you that today's subject is not one of those rah-rah moments. There are times when you get to uh, the scripture where it becomes very specific about things within our life, and I think today is one of those days of reflection, making sure that we are right in the eyes of the Lord as we look at what Joshua has. Before we do that, I want everybody just to look outside for a moment, look out the window. Does this not look like over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go weather? This just feels like hunting season. All right, I got that out of my system. I'm working on it. Came back from deer camp last night, and we'll be heading back out, and I'm supposed to think on the Word of God right now, so help me with that, if you would, please. I want to read a passage of Scripture. I know in the text that you have there, it's out of chapter 7, verses 10 through 13, but I want to read a little bit. In fact, I want to read the first 13 verses just to give us a little idea of what was happening here. I'm sorry for all of you in the back because I know I didn't give you warning on this. So, Scripture says, starting in chapter 7, verse 1, But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which was near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them to go up and spy out the reason, region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And when they returned to Joshua, they said, Listen, not all the people are going to have to go up against Ai. Send a two or 3,000 men to take it, and don't weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about 3,000 men went up, and they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed 36 of them and chased the Israelites from the city gate as far back as the stone quarries and struck them down the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted, and they became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, and remaining there till evening, the elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, O sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say now to that Israel has been routed by one of its enemies. The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and will surround us and wipe our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things They have stolen, they have lied, they have put them in their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies because they turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. So consecrate the people. Tell them to consecrate themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until it is removed. Father, as we approach your word this morning, we recognize that there are some times when your word makes us feel incredibly great. 
There are other times when your word causes us a great deal of self-reflection under the spotlight of your Holy Spirit. And so I pray today that we would hear what the Spirit has to say as you draw us into closer relationship, that we can put aside things that distract us so that we can move unto the victories that you have given to us as promises. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we concluded our message as victory over the walled city of Jerusalem or or of Jericho was happening. We knew that God had told them, I'm going to give this to you. They stand there next to this immaculately huge walls of a city. And God gave them directions of how to walk in obedience. And the walls came tumbling down. We recognized that even had the walls come tumbling down as if it were an earthquake, the pile of rubble would have still been such an obstacle that God had to do something either miraculously to shove them into the ground or to uh, to molecularly change the nature of the stones because the scripture says that when the walls came down, every person was to walk straight in in front of them and take the city. We also know that God told them that since this was the first city in Canaan in the promised land that I'm giving to you, everything of value in this city has been devoted to me. They are devoted things. They belong to me and you are not to profit from this whatsoever. And we talked a little bit about the blessings of the Lord that encourages us to be obedient in in everything he gives to us, in our tithes and our offerings. Those are the first fruits that we give to him because we recognize that everything we have has been given to us by him. We know that obedience had, had taken place. The walls came down. They burned the city. And somehow in the middle of that night, Something took place. In fact, in Joshua 6, 24, it says, They burned the whole city and everything in it. They put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. And so they were working to be obedient to everything that God had stated for them. Now, we recognize that while we are on our walk of victory in the Lord, that victory is available to us through Jesus Christ who died on the cross to free us from the penalty of our sin, which is death, but also to free us from the power of sin, which is its control over to us. And while we are on this journey, there are moments in time when sin trips us up and we come face to face with the fact that we are not as strong as we think we are. There are times when we think, God, I've got this. I don't need your help. And when we fall into sin, we have to come running back to him in in recognition that we can't do this on our own. The scripture I read this morning talks about disgrace that comes upon the people of God. They thought they were entering into a battle with a small little village of Ai, and they ended up running like whimpering dogs from this tiny village. Disgrace came upon the people. And it began to be realized as the leadership began to pray, God, what's going on here? Why did you lead us into this promised land if you're only going to allow us to be defeated by this? It was better off when we were still in the wilderness. And God began to reveal to them there is sin in the camp. Disobedience is the cause of this. And it needs to be discovered. It needs to be rooted out. And I will not be with you until this is done. So let's go back to the victory at Jericho for a moment. The city has been burned. Nobody has touched any of its wealth. In fact, it's still laying in the ashes of what is smoldering. And that night, laying in a tent, Achan, for some reason, gets up in the middle of the night and opens his tent and recognizes that everybody else is asleep. 
He looks at the smoldering ruins of what's in front of him and he gets out to take a midnight stroll through the ruins of Jericho. And as he is walking through the city with nobody else around, walking through the ashes, something begins to catch his attention. It's a leather bag and he walks over to it and as he opens it, he looks inside and discovers there are tons of of coins in here and he reaches into them and he pulls them out and the silver coins begin to fall through his fingers and as he counts them he realized there's 200 shekels of silver here and looking around recognizing I know I'm not supposed to take this but nobody sees me nobody's around he closes it up and he puts it under his arm and he begins to walk through the ashes a little farther and suddenly there in the moonlight there's a glimmer of something that catches his attention and he walks over to it and, and he brushes the ashes away and he lifts it out and the Bible describes it as a wedge of gold. And again he looks around and there's nobody there so he opens up the bag and he puts that in it and he continues to walk and on his journey in a place where he shouldn't have been at a time that he should not have been there he sees something of color with a sparkling ornament on it, and he walks over and he, he pulls it out and he begins to recognize that this is a very ornamental garment, Babylonian in nature, probably worn by an official at one time, and he knew, I could never afford anything like this on my salary. So he shakes it off and he rolls it up and he sticks it in his bag and he begins to make his way back to his tent and before he goes in he stops one more time and looks around recognizing God had told him not to touch anything. He thinks he's gotten away with it and he goes into his tent and then even in his own tent didn't feel like it can be just sitting out so he digs a hole underneath his mattress puts it in the hole, smooths the dirt over it, unrolls his bedroll, and lays down on that, looking up at his tent with the smile of contentment, thinking, I am ahead of everybody else in our land because I have just made myself wealthier. The next morning, the mist rises above the river Jordan and the trumpets blow in the camp and it's time for 3,000 men to go and route Ai and we know according to scripture it did not go according to plan and they end up running in fear. And the name, or the Bible tells us that the name of God was disgraced that day. It leads us to some places and if you have a bulletin there's some outline there for you if you want to jot down. What are the causes of sin? Not only in the life of the nation Israel, but what are the causes of sin as it relates to us as well? We look at this story and realize that Ai should have been no problem for the children of Israel, but there were some things that led up to it that likewise will be areas that would open us up for defeat if we are not on top of it as well. The first one is pride. Pride. The men of Israel should have sought the Lord for his plan in taking Ai, but they became careless after the victory over Jericho. In fact, their instructions were, listen, if God can bring down the walls of Jericho, we went out and spout out this little village, there's nothing there. We don't need everybody. We are so good on our own. We got this. Let everybody rest. Just send a few men. We will take this. We'll continue to celebrate. How many of you know when you take things into your own hands that that's where you begin to walk into trouble. In fact, I would venture a guess that if we were to look at our own life, the things that got us into the most trouble were things when we started to think, I got this. 
The Lord's been leading me from victory to victory. His hand's upon me. It doesn't matter what I do. I don't even need to consult him. Lord, take the day off. This one's on me. Joshua 7.3 says, not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it, and don't weary all the people. Let me tell you something. Overconfidence led to a great defeat after a huge victory. There was a funny cartoon that I saw a long time ago about a woodpecker that was standing on the side of a pine tree, and he's just pecking away, and without him knowing it, a storm came, and a lightning bolt hit the top of that tree, and it split right in half all the way to the bottom. The woodpecker in the next image is standing there hovering, looking at this tree that's split in half and thinking, oh my goodness. And so he flies away. The next has him coming back with ten other friends of woodpeckers going, see, I told you. It's easy to want to take credit. And whatever success you may feel in your life or in your family or in your church or in your business, we can never fail to understand that the blessings and the victories that God gives to us do not belong to us. They were not earned by us. They were not won by us, but by His Spirit leading you and guiding you when you walked into obedience. And so Israel's first sin was the carelessness of pride that allowed them to trust their own strength rather than seeking God for His direction. And then there was presumption. We reek with pride when we presume. And and presumption is false faith. We presume to know what God wants without ever asking him. Israel missed it when they failed to discover God's mind on the matter. We've learned that it's not our strength that accomplishes God's purpose, but the revelation of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us and through us. In fact, the prophet Zechariah understood this when he God said to him, it's not by might, and it's not by power, but it is by my spirit, saith the Lord. Now, when we come to that understanding, that there's nothing that you do that brings victory, it's not your own imagination, it's not your own power, it is strictly the hand of the Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you in obedience that brings victory into your life, we suddenly recognize humbly as we sit back, I have nothing to do with this but thank God for his grace and his mercy that's poured out upon us. In fact, I will tell you that there is no sin and no power of Satan that is so small that we can overcome it in the strength of our own flesh. Israel overcame Jericho in the power of the Lord, but they failed utterly when they went up against Ai because they went in the strength of their own flesh. Israel assumed... God would be with them because he was with them on their last victory. The assumption that we know the plan of God without asking him will always lead us into places of danger. That's why he said, my mercies are new every morning because I want you to consult with me every day on what's to take place. It also led to them in the last one, the prayerlessness. You see, it's not the big Jerichos that often defeat the Christian. It's the little AIs that mess us up. It's not the lion that spoils the vine. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. When we begin to think, I've got this one. I don't need your help. I don't even need to consult you because I am so close to you. I know the mind of God without even asking you about it. I know how this is going to go. I've pictured it in my mind. We're off. And the Lord's going, that was not my plan at all. But you never even stopped to ask me about it. In Joshua chapter 7, 
In verses 6, it says, And after the defeat, Joshua tore his clothes, fell face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and he remained there until evening. The elders of Israel did the same, sprinkling dust on their heads. In verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, Stand up, what are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them on their own possessions. In verse 12, he says, I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever is among you devoted to destruction. We get this image that if Joshua had prayed with this fervency before he went into battle with Ai, it would have all been different. How many of you know we pray more fervently when we're in trouble than when times are good? My heaviest, most intense times of prayer are generally after a defeat. Just like Joshua, he falls down and goes, I thought I had this. I thought we knew it. And in that time, we tear our clothes and we throw dust on our heads. Not literally, but that was a way of humbling themselves before God. We fall upon our knees and we cry out and we're going, where did I miss it? Where did I miss this with you? The Lord says, if you had sought me with the same intensity that you are now before, I would have showed you the path to victory. But you did it prayerlessly. Prayer needs to be our first thought, not our last. If Achan had prayed before he went out of his tent that night, he might have obeyed the Spirit of God telling him not to take what belonged to the Lord and spared his own life and his family. But as a result of that, he leads us into a new lesson, which is the second point, and that's the curses of sin. Sin has consequences that often function as curses. God specifically told the children of Israel, when the city falls, when the city of Jericho falls, you do not take anything of value. It belongs to me. It's my tithe. It's my offering. It's given to me to demonstrate to you that I'm the one in charge here and that I bring provision. Every other town you take after that, the spoils will belong to you. This one's the first. It's mine. Don't touch the devoted things. Joshua Chapter 6.18 tells it specifically when he said, Keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any. In other words, God warned them. He said, These are devoted. They're mine. If you take them, you bring destruction on yourself. There are times in our life when we suffer the consequences of our own bad decisions. God will move to remove your sin, but I want you to know something. The consequences of that sin are still things that we have to live out. If we had made wiser decisions before, then the consequences wouldn't be there for those things. But God never under, overlooks secret, unforgiven, unforsaken sin in the life of his people. And that kind of hidden sin becomes a plague to your life. It can become a plague to your family, and it will cause you to live in constant condemnation and without joy. God has established that his children cannot sin and still prosper. When we fail to prosper, we lose our victory. When we fail to prosper, we have a conscience that we cannot run from. It is always bothering us because the Spirit is always trying to draw us back to a, a rightness with him. And when you fail to prosper, you have no joy in your life. And we don't have to ask God, why, did this, why is this mess happening? Because we know why it's happening. We know why it's happening. And the curses of Achan's unconfessed sin were many. 
First of all, it brought dishonor to God. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called Christians. We assume that title when we became followers of Jesus Christ and received His grace and mercy in our life in exchange for the sinful life and nature that we've had. He switched resumes with us. As a result of that, we should live in such a way that brings honor to Him. And here's what happens in most of the world today. When you have conversations with people and you talk to them about becoming a follower of Jesus, here's what many of you hear. I'll never be a follower of Jesus because if, it, if that's what Christians is like, I know so-and-so, and if, they, if that's what a Christian is like, I don't want to be like that. In other words, the way we carry His name can be disgraceful to Him. If we live in sin and carry His name then it's his name that gets drugged through the mud as well as your own reputation. And so there's an aspect of the curse of sin that brings dishonor to God by our own behavior and our own standards and our own words. When we make our boast in the Lord and then we fall before Satan and we live in a way that is not pleasing to the Lord, we go down in defeat and we take his name with us in the eyes of those who are watching and we make it harder for them to want to genuinely come to know our Savior. So the Lord says to his church, Live in such a way that you are upright. If you're going to carry my name, live like me. The curse of Achan's sin also brought a tremendous defeat to his brethren. Achan's wasn't the only one that was hurt by his sin. This is a really important point. Because there are some of you this morning that you're in your own mind thinking, my sin doesn't hurt anybody else but me. What I'm doing, it doesn't hurt my family. It doesn't hurt the church. It's just me. I I want you to know something. Sin always hurts more than you think it does. There are ripple effects to the way that you live, even if you think nobody knows what's going on, that bring about a destruction of what God wants to accomplish, not just in your life, but in a ripple effect of others as well. I often wonder if Achan knew ahead of time That by his actions, there were going to be 36 families that lost their father because they went to a battle that because of his sin that they were supposed to win that they lost, if it would have changed his behavior. I tend to think not, because when you're so selfish, you don't think of the reaction or the ripple effects of sin on others. He wasn't thinking about how it would affect his own bloodline. He wasn't thinking about how the effect of his sin and the consequences that it would have on an entire nation. He certainly didn't think about the lives of 36 dead soldiers that would rest upon his own disobedience. Because listen, sin always blinds you to the consequences. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you wanted to pay. So when you begin to battle these things in your own mind as to, well, nobody knows and it's just me that's being affected, I want you to understand that is the lie of the enemy who knows that there are ripple effects that will affect others. Like this. If we as a church begin to allow people to live any way they want outside of the calling of God, after a while nobody will want to come here if we're not living up to the standard of what we say we are. And so insidiously... The name of God becomes disgraced because he's called us to a higher standard. Also, if you are living in a place where you are constantly under the condemnation of guilt when the Lord is trying to draw you out and you never respond to that, you will never know the joy of what it's like to be able to worship in the freedom of his grace and mercy. 
because you'll be in the battle of the Spirit trying to have your own way. Leads us to the consequences of sin. Sin not only caused an immediate disgrace and failures, but it also caused some permanent consequences. One day, hidden sin will be revealed. You can hide it from your parents, you can hide it from your spouse, you can hide it from the church, you can hide it from your your co-workers, but on the authority of God's word, I declare to you today that ultimately any unconfessed sin that you are trying to hide is going to be revealed publicly and you will have to own it. Joshua chapter 7 verses 16 through 18 said, Early the next morning Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was selected. And the clans of Judah came forward, and he took the Zerahites. And the clan of the Zerahites came forward by families, and Zimri was taken. Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah was taken. I, can you imagine what he felt like this day? God says, I'm going to reveal to you what's happened. I'm going to reveal to you who has sinned. I'm going to reveal to you the cause of the consequences of sin on a whole nation. I'm going to tell you who it is. And on that day, and Achan is sitting there, and he knows full well what he's got hidden in his tent. And, and the Spirit of the Lord begins to speak to Joshua, and Joshua points at his tribe. And everybody else leaves, and that tribe's sitting there. And then Joshua, under the Spirit of the Lord, begins to point to his clan, and all the other clans leave. And Achan's beginning to realize, oh, oh, this is getting closer. And then the clans come forward, family by family, and his family is selected. And now, now he's beginning to tremble. And then man by man, they stand before him. And when he stands there, and God looks at him and says, it's him. The sudden rush of guilt that came upon him as he began to recognize that the consequences of sin were greater than what he thought. The Bible tells us in Romans 14, 11 through 12, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Listen, there's coming a day Regardless of what you believe or what you don't believe, those that will tell you there is no God, there's coming a day when they will kneel before him and confess everything of their life to him, whether they wanted to or not. You see, because God is going to get glory out of our lives one way or the other. He either receives the glory by virtue of our salvation and receiving the grace that he has extended to us through Jesus Christ, or he will receive the glory when he judges you. Because as the righteous God, the righteous judge will not let sin go unpunished. We either receive the punishment that Jesus or he will look at you and say, you've tried to hide this, you've tried to do your own thing, but I will receive glory as I judge you by my righteousness. Because every knee will bow. Every tongue will have to say out loud the things which I have done and the things which I have hidden. Listen. Don't wait until the judgment to fess up. It won't matter what you say or what you do when you are standing before God. Genuine repentance is not only confessing before you are exposed, but it's also demonstrating the fruit of that forgiveness by doing everything in your power to make right what you have done wrong. True repentance is never too late, but late repentance is seldom true. The Bible tells us in verse 25, Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. And then he was stoned and his family 
I'm glad we don't do that today. I looked it up to see what stoning was like, and, and the way they described it back then is they dug a hole, and, and people were buried in up to their waist, and their arms were down, and so they literally stood as defenseless as people threw rocks at them being half buried. It's still being practiced today in some places, and the pictures were horrible to look at. We read about that, and we don't think anything of the penalties that come from that. And it didn't have to be that way. It could have all been different. I want to tell you a story about what it could have looked like had Achan responded to the Spirit of the Lord, and as I do, I want the worship team to please come. It could have been a different story if Achan in the middle of the night had gotten up and after taking all those things and hiding it under his bedroll, laid down on that mattress and as he's looking at his tent, suddenly he feels the conviction of knowing, I've let myself down, I've let my people down, I've let my family down and more than anything else, I've let God down. And if somewhere the guilt of that, he begins to grab his own head and said, oh my God, what have I done? Oh God, I've shamed you. And rather than covering it, he digs it all up and he takes the things which he has stolen. And he runs to the tent of Joshua. And sticking his head in the tent in the middle of the night, he goes, Joshua, Joshua, wake up. I need you to come out here. And groggily, Joshua gets up and looks at him and he goes, I, I don't know what to tell you, but... I, I disobeyed God and I took the things which were devoted to him and I, I tried to hide them but I'm so overcome by the guilt of this. I've got to make it right. So here's, here's the silver and here's the gold and here's the garment. I, 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 I've got to give that to you. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please, please forgive me so that I don't have to suffer the judgment of this. Joshua looks at him and he sees the tears running down to his face and recognizes there's a godly and genuine sorrow. And Joshua reaches out his hand and he puts it on him and said, because you have confessed, the curse has been lifted. You've been set free and the people of God will move forward in victory. You see, what I'm really talking about is your story. Every one of us stand as Aikens. There are things that we hold within our heart that we hope nobody finds out and we bury them under, the, under a hole in the bottom of a room underneath the bedroll and, and we just think they're buried there and we can dig them out and use them and play with them anytime and then try to cover them back up again. But I want you to know something. The consequences of that sin affect far more than just you. Now we're about to sing a song that talks about how much he loves us. And at the end of that song, I'm going to get up and I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept a grace that we did not deserve that can remove from us the curse of sin so that we can then pursue the victories of the Lord with a pure heart as God prepares the way. Would you please stand with me as we sing?
ask you to close your eyes for a moment and nobody looking around. This is just a moment between you and God who through His Holy Spirit is quickening you. If you've got a knot in your throat this morning and you've been uncomfortable all morning, it's because the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your life and saying, today is the day to dig that stuff up and give it to me while you still have the chance and the choice is yours. And that what comes as a result of that is that your sin is covered underneath the blood of Jesus Christ and you get to walk in a new direction without the guilt of your sin because it's been paid for by the one who died for us. For some of you, it may be this is the first time you've ever made this decision to become a follower of Christ and to recognize what He's done for you. And if that's the case, then this is the greatest decision you'll make in eternity because your eternal destination relies on how you respond in this moment. It's these decisions, do I choose to follow or do I choose my own way, that will determine whether or not you kneel before Him and confess your sins and then stand before Him that day covered by the grace of God or whether you stand and you are forced to confess your sins and bow. Will He receive glory in your life from your salvation or from your judgment? If you're here today and say, Pastor, I... I want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ that I'm going to ask that you just lift your hand and then you can put it right back down. I'm not going to embarrass you. Yes, sir, I see that. Are there others? Are there others? Yes, sir, I see that. Yes, sir, I see that. Are there others this morning saying, I'm tired of living with this guilt and condemnation. I want to enjoy the freedom of knowing Jesus. Are there others this morning? The Lord's knocking on the door of your heart. The next question is for the church. If there have been some things that have been plaguing you and battling you and you recognize that the victories of God's promises have been just out of your reach and you begin to recognize there's some things that you have been hiding. Maybe not hiding them from public so that nobody can see, but things that you know, doors in your own life you've not yet opened in obedience to the Lord that He wants to come in and cleanse. And today the Spirit of the Lord is bringing those doors to your mind. Would you just lift your hand so that I can agree with you in prayer? Yes, 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 across this whole room. I'm going to ask our deacons and their spouses and our prayer team if they would please make their way to the front and be prepared to pray with people in just a moment. This is an important word, and I'm going to ask you to open your eyes. This is an important word. Because on the threshold of victory will always come the greatest temptations. Just on the other side of what God wants to accomplish comes the greatest voice of the enemy saying, yeah, you can compromise in this way. You can compromise. It's not going to hurt anybody. Because there is a corporate damage that comes from some of the personal decisions that we make. And God is wanting us as a movement and as a church and those who are believers that carry the name of Christ to move forward in victory, but that also comes with the call to live a holier life to live up to the standard of the name of Jesus Christ. So if the Spirit of God is beginning to pluck some of the strings in your heart about some things, it's a time to listen. I'm going to close in prayer in just a moment. But if the Spirit of the Lord is touching your heart, don't leave here until you've had a chance to have somebody join you in prayer. And if there are things going on that you are uncomfortable disclosing, then just simply say, I have some unspoken things going on because God knows them. But there comes this point of accountability in joining others that helps us. And if this 
is a moment when you're ready to give your life to the Lord and say, I'm choosing today to be a follower, then please come and find somebody to pray with and say, I was one of those that raised a hand because today's my day. Today's my day. Every one of us have had to make that decision. None of us are better than anybody else. We're here by the grace and mercy of God. But don't leave here without digging up the things that you've tried to hide. It just might be today's the day of victory. Father, as I pray over your people, I ask, oh God, that that would start with me and then move through the fingers of the leadership of our church that we would constantly be in communication with you as to the things that we have a tendency to try to hide or to, to discount or to say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And yet by your Holy Spirit, what we don't understand is that there have been some things we may have been defeated in that you intended victory if we had just sought you about them. And so, Lord, may it be that as we open up our hearts to you that you would begin to pour into us your grace and mercy to root out that which we have buried that would prepare us to leave in victory. For those that raised their hand that said, today is my day, I pray for those three men, God, and I ask in the name of Jesus that the day that they have from this point moving forward will be different because this is the day that you move in and sin moves out. May this be the day that that which has kept them in condemnation is washed away by your sacrifice and it is replaced by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords taking up residence in their life and that joy will enter in where there's been hardship in the past. I pray, God, that from that moment on that they would begin to see victories take place within their life, indicating that you're the King there. And then I pray for your church that raised their hands as so many of them have things that the Spirit of God is beginning to reveal to them that this needs to be dealt with so that they can move forward and qualify in victory. May we not rush out of here without addressing those things which your Spirit has highlighted to our hearts. Father, for those that must go, I now pray that the hand of your blessing would be upon them. May we have a great Thanksgiving week because we of all people have much to be thankful for. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and may we live in a way that elevates your name and does not bring dishonor to you. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Don't leave if you need somebody to pray with you today. Have a great Thanksgiving week. Give glory to God. We have much to be thankful for.